Well, as most of you know me, my name is Mark, and this is my first class teaching here at Eastside, which I'm pretty excited. Um, I'm pretty nervous, but I think that's uh, pretty normal. I, when I look, again, I did a devotional a couple weeks ago, and one of my points was looking out is how much uh, experience there is in our congregation. And, you know, me, I've gotten so much encouragement um, through the years, which has been almost seven and a half years to be able to come here, be encouraged, and now to have the opportunity to come here and study the book of James, which it's amazing what thoughts that you have going into something. And then when you start the process, how much you feel like you learn that God shows you that you didn't even realize about yourself when you're looking at things. And, you know, choosing the book of James, I thought would be a real encouraging thing be a real encouraging thing for myself, and I hope that as I work through the book of James that there'll be nuggets and pieces that can encourage you as well from God's Word. Um, I just kind of want to open a little bit, um, you know, I've been really encouraged by using material from uh, Ryan and then also Mr. Roper, you know, him providing me the book uh, Practical Christianity with his notes, uh, that was very humbling to read through his notes and to see some of his process as far as what his studies and what he put together for a lesson. Um, I think, you know, I guess one of the things is when, you know, going through the process of reading through the book, learning how to study, it's been a real eye-opening as far as what God's been showing me, and I just really hope that that God's work and that we can all learn something from that. So, as far as uh, the sources, I've used his book, Practical Christianity, uh, by David Roper. I've used the ESV online reference for the Bible as well as King James Version. Um, and then a slew of notes uh, that Mr. Roper had with, uh, for, with his study in James. Um, you know, looking at the timeline of the book of James, um, you know, it, it starts basically 28 to 33 uh, after Jesus' death, resurrection, and it goes all the way to the where around A.D. 62 as far as uh, when James was martyred. Um, so it's, it's quite a long time. As far as this letter was written by James, the brother of Jesus, and leader of the Jerusalem church, Acts 15, it was probably written about 40 to 45 to Jewish Christians living outside Palestine. Now we'll go over some of that um, as far as why do we, why, why do some think that this was written by uh, Jesus' brother or half-brother. Um, the theme, Christians must live out their faith. They should be doers, not hearers of God's word. <laughs> What's really funny about that is when I did my devotion a couple weeks ago, I didn't really even realize how it lined up with what I was studying uh, for this lesson and realizing when I was talking about following Christ and how, as a, as a young Christian, I kind of thought the word follower is just kind of being a passive, something that I say that I am, but there's no action behind it. And what struck out stuck out to me is I've always thought that we should be doers of Christ or actionists of Christ. And here we're studying James, and it talks about you know working 
uh, our faith, in a sense. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, let's see. A little behind here. Uh, I did a little bit of looking as far as the purpose of James. And I just found that James' readers were suffering persecution, living in poverty. There were a social and spiritual conflict. Many believers were living in a worldly manner. James corrects them and challenges them to seek God's wisdom to work out these problems. And I think how so true that kind of mimics even today life, that there's just so much worldliness out there, including even when I look at myself, and I think of how I live my life and things that I could do different. So I, I guess... Um, God's really used this book to really kind of convict me in some areas as far as uh, how I can grow my faith. And, I, and obviously, you know, this book was written to encourage us followers, us believers. So one thing I liked about the book of James is that it gives us a direct teaching uh, from God. As Mr. Roper quotes, the most interesting thing is that the book of James is inspired of God and given to help us, as noted in 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, Mr. Roper also described... James as being the Christian book of Proverbs. It moves quickly from topic to topic. Now, I kind of wanted to highlight some some key points from the book of James, which I thought were very interesting. Um, You know, God is a gracious giver, unchanging creator, and merciful and compassionate. He's also a judge, and the one and only God, a jealous God, and a gracious God, and a healing God. Um, You know, there's a lot about wisdom. Wisdom comes from above. It enables believers to withstand trials and to have peace rather than division amongst themselves. Uh, God also tests and trials, but temptation comes from self and Satan. The required response is patient, is patient endurance. Um, rather than merely hearing God's word, believers must obey it in their daily actions. Prayer is the proper response to trials, but it must not be self-seeking. It is to be central in all of life circumstances, good or bad. God has great power to heal physical and spiritual problems. I mean, just from those points alone, realizing the, the, you know, the power that God has, um, the opportunity that we have to increase in our faith as far as seeking Him, I think that's uh, really, really important. Um, there, you know, there's a lot to unpack in, rel- in relatively short five chapters. Um, this morning we're gonna we will discuss the first chapter. Well, I should say a part of the first chapter, and work our way through the book of James over the next six weeks. It's it's amazing how much can be taken, understood, and taught. And just the first four verses, which we're going to talk about today, um, I, it's kind of you know interesting. Um, but I, you know, learning from others, David Roper, Ryan, 
uh, Tracy, Sam, just others at the church, if I didn't mention your name. <laughs> but um, there's, just, there's just so much to learn, I'm thinking, you know, in preparing for this class, and I'm just, you know, I'm reading the Word, and there's just so much that I'm like, well, I didn't think of that, or I didn't think of this. And I'm, you know, someone who naturally questions the who, what, where, why, when, and yet I can look at something and, you know, one day, two days later, I can read the same thing, and then all of a sudden, God's showing me something else that I didn't realize. Did you turn the recording on? Yes. I forgot to ask you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so we're going to start with James one one. You know, uh, you know James wants us to be happy. James one one. So talk. I want to talk about um, the author. Now he's not identified, but his, he's well known. There's. There's only four James in the New Testament. Two could be eliminated as they were not well known. That comes from Luke 6.16 and Mark 15.40. So a third James can be eliminated, a son of Zebedee and brother of John. Though he was, though he was well known, he died a martyr's death by Herod Agrippa I very early in AD 44. So who was left? James, the Lord's half-brother. He was a pillar of the church in Jerusalem. Mr. Roper also explained that identifying the exact James has nothing to do with the authenticity of the book or the fact that it is from God, but it is a matter of interest. I wanted to talk about uh, uh, James' life. Yeah, there's Joseph, Mary, Jesus. Four brothers and at least two sisters, at least nine, according to Matthew 13, 55, 56. The brothers and sisters were, of course, half-siblings due to the same mother, Mary, but didn't have the same father. God was Jesus' father. Joseph was the father of the rest. James did not believe in Jesus', Jesus deity, John 7, 5. You know, initially Jesus appeared to James in 1 Corinthians 15, 7a, and that's when his Faith grew. If James is the half-brother of Jesus, the uh, place of writing would probably be Jerusalem. The time of the writing would be between A.D. 44 and A.D. 62. If James came into prominence after the death of James, son of Zebedee, James, and James approximately died A.D. 62. Um, and then, you know, during James's life, we also have to understand the period under the high priest, Ananias. You know, it was a very oppressive period. Uh, famine had impoverished the area, according to Acts 11.27. The rich got richer and the poor got poor. So we see during that time that, uh, you know, you know when, when Jesus was starting his ministry, and he was claiming to be who he was. At that time, James and, you know, his siblings and others, there's a lot of mockery. I mean, he, he didn't believe in the deity. And, of course, when uh, Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah, that was really a time when, you know, I think he felt like he was being, 
he, he couldn't even get any support from his half-sisters or half-siblings or family. It was a lot of mockery. Um, Mark? Yes. Did we know how much older Jesus was to his, to James and the other siblings? Well, it, was that ever? It wasn't because uh, James might have been a little boy at the time Jesus. I think. His. Well, based on what what I read, he was just a few years older, so he was a younger brother. But they were, you know, close to age. The scripture we have is one time whenever uh, the brothers came. And they were not believers. We have one scripture that during Christ's lifetime, that's the only one we have. We don't know that they weren't converted before Jesus died. But we do know at one point, they were not disciples, not followers, uh, and were referred to that way. But then whenever uh, Paul and Timothy came to Jerusalem, then we have James mentioned as one of the leaders of the church there. Doesn't hey say he was the leader? Uh, there's one of the things up there that mentioned that he was one of the elders, obviously, of the church of Jerusalem, and the apostles were still there as leaders. He was not an apostle, but he probably <coughs> was an elder of the church in Jerusalem, which was the premier church in Christianity. That's where it began. And it was about a decade before we start hearing about the church in Antioch and the Gentile churches. It was the church for a full decade, for sure. Yeah. Um, now, what was interesting that, uh, you know, James eventually could call himself a servant of God when Jesus appeared to him that's when James' faith really grew because he was really, you know, I, I, don't, I, I can't imagine all the, you know, I mean, I look at today and how people disregard God. And if, but, you know, if you profess to be a Christian and you're putting that forward, what we hear today. And can only imagine what it was like back in that time what, what what he was going through, but then you know all of that kind of changed. Where he did believe in the deity of Christ when James, or when uh, Jesus revealed Himself to him, um, and you know from that time, well, I don't know the exact time, but James, you know, he calls himself a servant of God. And wh why doesn't he say he is the half brother of Jesus? Um, you know, maybe because he is well known and everyone knew him. Maybe it's because he was modest, or maybe because of what Jesus said, for whoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother, Mark 3.35. Um, George Bailey has said it's more important to be Christ, to be Christ in the faith than in the flesh. Um, you know, and when James calls himself a servant of God, we look at the Greek meaning doulos, which means bondservant or slave when we look at the meaning of greeting. Um, James says, I'm just a slave of Christ. So, you know, um, and as far as, so we, we're kind of looking at um, to who, who, you know, who wrote this. And we've talked about James and, you know, where he came from and kind of his start. And, kind of explain who he was 
before, you know, he believed in Jesus' deity. And then to when uh, Jesus revealed himself. And now we're going to talk about to whom, to whom was he writing to. Um, obviously, it's the 12 tribes. Um, Jewish, you know, it was written to Jewish people at the time, according to Acts 26, 6 and 7. Um, they, they were scattered abroad by the Assyrians, Babylonians, and, and by conquering nations between the Testaments. Um, it was written to the brethren, Christian Jews who had faith in Jesus Christ, James 2.1. Although some felt that it was all Christians based on Galatians 3.29. Uh, but what's really important about that is, regardless of who he wrote this for, it shows that James wants us to be happy. Um, and we're going to learn a little bit more about that with the salutation. Um, you know, let's, uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and read James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And so that's where we're talking about greetings. And, you know, uh, David Roper's book, Practical Christianity, claims that James wants us to be happy. And as I've been reading the book, and, you know, I have to agree with, uh, Mr. Roper's uh, findings, writings, what, what he explains. Um, and I think it's, you know, he does, God does want us to be happy, um, that we can have joy. So, again, the salutation, the word greeting is translated from the word for rejoice. It means to rejoice, to be happy. Though it can be used as a standard salutation without any specific meeting, I agree with Mr. Roper that James means exactly what he says. He picks up that same theme in the next verse. My brethren, count it all as joy. So, in talking about uh, James, what is the purpose of the book of James? Anyone have any ideas? The question being asked by all men concerning the religion of Christ is, does it really work? What I, what I like is that James answers these questions effectively demonstrating the truth that, re, that the religion of Jesus is applicable in any age, in any situation. And, you know, I, I think of that and I think, isn't that so true when it just comes to the Bible? And I was just talking to Sam last week, and we've had previous conversations, that one of my favorite terms or phrases is that I really love saying <clears throat> absolute truth. Because I think that, you know, today we look at the world and everything we wants to be relative. There's no basis for the anchor of what truth is. And we can easily say things are relative. What's true for me may not be true for you. Or what, you know, everything is based off what we think. And that's, you know, looking at the word, and we're talking about James more specifically where this is a practical application for how we as believers can approach our relationship with Christ, with, you know, teaching as far as what are our responsibilities as Christians that we need to keep mind of. Um, you know, we're going to study the 
next few verses to show that James does want us to be happy. Um, this is, for me personally, I think I a lot of times live in my head. I can think about a lot of things and I can tune out others. And unfortunately, sometimes I think I, I do that in my own personal relationships with others. And thinking about, you know, reading James really makes me look at things in more practical use as far as, okay, what is my relationship? What, are, what do I need to do in order to grow my faith? Because what I'm mimicking personally, locally, I think also mimics my own relationship with Christ because I'm doing the same things where, I hate to say it, but I put myself first instead of putting Christ first. Um, James is a very practical book. It doesn't just talk about being happy. It talks about being happy in spite of trials yes. and maintaining happiness through faith and through conquering the things that happen to our life, not just through it being given to us. Yes. So, as I said, that James wants us to be happy even when trials come. So let's go ahead and let's read uh, James 1, 2, and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Um, it, it is not difficult to be happy when we have good health, when we have money, we have good friends, we have family. You know, things seem to be going our way. Life seems easy. But what happens when things don't seem to be going well? Um, okay. It's, okay. Uh, see. What happens when things don't go well? Christian Jews knew the challenge. They had all the problems that all humans have, plus the persecution that came to the Jews, plus the persecution that came to Christians. So again, I can only imagine what they went through, which I would liken to being a uh, hundred times worse than maybe what I think I'm going through. Um, of course, I wasn't there, so <laughs> but it's a pretty good assumption. You know, one thing's to note that these problems weren't, they didn't seek out these problems, these didn't come due to their own failures. These problems also didn't come in spite of their best efforts to avoid trouble. Sometimes things just happen. Um, against our best efforts, that we want to do everything perfect. You know, it's not, this isn't talking about, um, what I want to say, this isn't talking about just our normal decisions of, of where we walk into sin. This is talking about outward things that just happen and we don't always understand why. You know, uh, my car broke down and thousand dollars to fix, you know, that just happened. We, we take our car, get it fixed, and we think that it's, it's running good, and one day it's just broken. It's not something that we can willingly make a decision to not have happen. That's kind of what this is talking about with when bad things happen to us. Um, but when these trials did come, James said to count it all joy, to be happy. You know, I... Why, and with that, why do we want to have a good attitude when problems rise? I mean, if we have the right attitude, problems will develop. Problems will develop our attitude. Um, as it says in verse 3, 
knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's King James Version uh, for ESV. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then in the NIV, it says, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So when we look at these things, and you know, at the moment, it can be difficult, but James wants us to be happy knowing that, you know, that I guess he wants, I mean, he wants us to count it as joy that these are things that will build us up, that they'll make us more mature, um, and that we can, you know, grow in in Jesus. Mark, <clears throat> you know, when, when we start talking about this, and as you read that there, I'm just thinking how this is so counter the world we live in, about we're supposed to be joyful about trial. Uh, we, we all avoid trial in everything, and we definitely don't think of it in the fashion of, this is actually good for me. Yes. And yet, he's doing that. He's tying that together by saying, the outcome is you are building patience, this steadfastness, uh, this resistance, if you will, to more problems. Uh, but that's just so counter of, of our thinking. Yes. How, how, do I, how do I undo... I don't know if I want to call it negative learning, but the things that I've learned, how do I unlearn them? When I think about that in my daily life, I want to make a change. But it's so easy for me to fall into my own bad habits because, you know, sometimes I could be a negative Nancy. <laughs> or, no, let me rephrase, negative Ned. You know, as I'm going through this, um, it's how we can get all of this again from just, we haven't got the verse four yet. This is just the first three verses. And uh, and it, it really is, when, when I see the title that Mr. Roper gave the book, Practical Christianity, it kind of blows my mind because it, it is very practical. And, you know... The things, yeah, because I, I feel like I want to teach this class and I want to just say something so uh, divine or important. <laughs> and, you know, what is there to really say? It's, this is practical stuff that we can all use regardless of what age we are, what time we're in, where we're at in our life, whether we're a young Christian, a new, a new Christian, an older Christian. I mean, it's just, it doesn't get any more practical than this. Um, if a person has faith when problems come, they'll be made stronger. How often do we not think about that? Like what Sam was saying. If one has faith, trials in his life will produce patience. What's the, uh, I always hear, uh, please don't make me pray for patience. Because, you know, when you pray for patience, you know, I think God's going to answer that prayer. <laughs> if one doesn't have faith, the problems that come, the trials that come will only make them weaker. I think that's so true. In my life, how many times have I felt something simple? I feel like I'm in a tailspin just because my own compass is off. I'm thinking about myself. I'm trying to control something that I can't control. Then, you know, my compass is all over the place. But the second that you refocus in your recentering what's important when you look at things differently, how 
it just, that compass goes north. And it amazes me, but yet I still want to test that because, you know, I, we know what we know, but at the same time, sometimes we, uh, com we continue to do the same thing, trying to get a different outcome. And what's that a definition of? <laughs> Insanity. <laughs> uh, the Greek word translated patience refers to endurance, steadfastness. To the Jews who had to endure so much through the years, this was queen of their virtues. So let's go ahead and let's read James 1.4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wow. We have every reason to be happy as problems come, because the end result can be maturity in our lives. Um, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. King James Version. Let's read it again in the ESV. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What is the perfect or finished work? In James 3.2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, I think I mentioned this earlier, this isn't referring to sinless perfection, it's referring to spiritual growth. Um, you know, and uh, finally, when we put all this together, if we keep on keeping on regardless of the trials we confront, the end result will be that we will be even, will be even able to meet the challenges of the future. And I think, you know, for me reading the first four verses, it's, I didn't realize the nuggets as far as how I can apply my life, how I have been encouraged and, you know, I think of uh, the time that I've been on East Side, and what I love about East Side is, you know, all the people that I'm influenced by, that I see that, I see the joy. And they may not always, I don't always know what's, well, I most times don't know what's happening in other people's lives. You know, we come here, we show a face. But what I've seen is real, true joy. And I think that's really influenced me. I've appreciated the people that have shared themselves with me that have got to know me over the years. And I think as I've come here, I've kind of slowly been reaching out to where I've accepted a lot of things as far as what God's shown me, willing to be taught the word. And now, you know, I want to be, I want to be that Christian, that follower of Christ, that doer in Christ, that That I can count everything in joy, that I can come fellowship and have true joy. Is there any questions, comments? Well, uses one, the one word comment. perfect, it uses the word complete, it uses the word have everything you need to succeed. All of those are here in these two or three verses here. Uh, nobody is sinless, but we can be mature, complete and able to use our past experiences to help us become better. All three of those concepts are here. Yeah, he ties uh, the, the term 
patience. I like the way he ties that together. If you think about patience and what it requires for us to end up getting patience is he's saying, okay, we're going to have to go through these trials <coughs> and all. But at the end, it becomes perfect. Mm-hmm. He uses that term perfect. How many things in our lives are we perfect at? You know? Yeah. Exactly. The concept of perfect in there is completeness. Yeah. Not perfection. Right. But the way I'm using it, it does. <laughs> he goes on to talk about, too, that, and not to jump ahead, but he does go on to talk about uh, the ideas of wisdom. And I think that's something that we. we struggle with the definition of that word, especially in our culture, that wisdom is just somebody who's really smart or something like that. It's not. Wisdom is, is, a, is experience. It's, it's learning from your mistakes. Um, often, wisdom would always be accounted to those who were much older just because that's where it came from. It was your knowing what you, you, you can have. It's easier to have joy because You've seen the end result so many times. You know that things always end up okay, and that you can, and that gives you the ability to look ahead of your life and realize things are going to be okay, and and that I have something to, to hold on to that 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 anchor that I can hold on to that's this farther in front of me, and that that's that. But that's one of the hardest things you do throughout your life is to have that, that steadfastness, that patience, that, um, and, and I do love the fact that he talks about that you will lack in nothing because you, you, by doing this, by having this patience, by having this steadfastness, you, you will understand that you don't need all of these things you think you need, and, and by the time you get to the end of your life, you, you lack in nothing because you realize that my focus is on God, my focus is on heaven, not on what I thought I need here. Very good. Well, I appreciate everybody coming to this study this morning. Uh, next week, we're going to work through uh, the rest of chapter one and then the beginning of chapter two. <laughs> and so thank you very much.